0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host George Muniz Gund. Today I have a special guest, a friend and fellow neurodistinct actor, uh, Mave Montgomery. Hi. Hi.
1: Hi. <laughs>
0: um. So I have Mave, and I we both went to the same. um acting school in san francisco the meisner technique studio uh, we studied with jim jarrett um, sanford meisner's last teaching protege. Mm-hmm. um anyways um you know very um, serious two-year commitment um very valuable technique a lot a lot was learned for both of us Maeve uh, graduated a few years before I did Mm -hmm. um but we we've been working together on a few projects and uh anyways uh I I'll get into uh I have a few questions for Maeve so yeah I'll I'll get into those um so Maeve how soon did you suspect being neurodistinct
1: that is A really good question um I I think very early on in childhood I knew I didn't think in the same way other people did um but I I didn't have any idea what that was or what that meant um you know it was very I was already naturally the black sheep in my family I was I was the artsy creative one they were all into sports and you know friday night lights and just just the every where i was the opposite of that always i would spend my nights in a the theater um, and watching movies and just all of that so i i i all for a long time i just assumed that was what made me different um but it wasn't until adulthood and i was out on my own out here on the West Coast where, and even even during the pandemic, I would say specifically where I just started putting things together where, and it was honestly, also Instagram blew a lot of it up too, where so many people have been just talking about their stories and their experiences. And it was after hearing a lot of those where I was like, oh wait, my brain works like that. That's how I see the world okay maybe there's something to that and it was through conversations with people that thought similarly to me where i go okay maybe maybe at my brain maybe i'm neurodistinct in that way and so so that was really how it started was around the pandemic where i really was like okay let me see Mm. if let me go on this journey and and see where it goes
0: yeah that's that's very interesting um that it came around the the pandemic Because um, I think that was like a time of of discovery for and and self reflection for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, so that's cool how you um you know that's when you started to kind of reflect about being possibly narrow distinct and um I'm sure it was kind of also uh realizing that a lot of the stigmas that we see and that we hear about out there are not necessarily true and um so i'm sure like in that way it was also yeah yeah because for me like i felt that when i um not necessarily when i because like with me it was a little different because like i had my diagnosis i got it um like 12 years ago but I didn't really do much diving into it or researching it for a while Mm -hmm. and um you know it wasn't really until very recently that I started um you know discovering the um, the whole online neurodistinct community and everything and um probably the similar kind of um places that you were discovering um and then i kind of had this awakening like wow we're we're taught like in society like through media and through movies and everything um we're taught we're told that that neurodistinctness like you know ADHD or autism or dyslexia like it's supposed to look a certain way exactly but it's yeah. not it doesn't always look that way and it looks different for for different people and and it's also like the sense of, of community and identity like you know being able to connect with other people that that share the same kind of um attributes and and stuff like you were saying um like that's definitely something that's been very powerful for me too.
1: Yeah, so, no, know. I think specifically talking about stigma, you know, I had such growing up such an idea of what it looked like to be neurodistinct. And in my mind I was like, Well, I don't fit that. I'm not I'm not hyperactive, I'm not I you know, I can sit still, I can do all these things and so I was like, so I can't be that, and it wasn't until, and that was my only lens of it for so long, which is as you know, you and I have discussed, is the neurotypical yes, way of looking it at it, and not even anywhere near the neurodistinct way. But I, it wasn't until I ha- I didn't have all those voices and that mm. that that lens constantly
0: surrounding
1: yeah. me that I was able to one, listen to myself and then be able to then start researching and connecting with people Yeah that just got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Exactly. There is I, I feel that a lot in the neurodistinct community is that we just get each other. Yeah. You know, we just we get it. It's mm-hmm. like there's this connect there's this unspoken uh
1: Communication, Communication. which is so funny because the whole idea around neurodistinct is that you have a lack of communication, right? And it's like, actually, no, I just only know how to communicate with people people that can communicate with me, you know? And uh,
0: there has been, I read something that, um, I guess there was like a research done saying that, uh, and it doesn't surprise me, but showing that neurodistinct people communicate better amongst themselves than neurotypical people do oh yeah yeah and it's like and it's that's also like what drives me so crazy about this stigma that neuro distinct people can't communicate properly it's like no, no we can't we don't communicate in neurotypical ways but we communicate. We actually love to
1: communicate. We love it. <laughs> we love yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <But> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: oh, and so I wanted to touch a little bit also on masking.
1: Yes.
0: Um, because I know that especially for and this is like a big reason why uh, women don't usually get diagnosed until later is yes. that they become so good at masking, um, not just masking their traits, but um, you know, trying to fit in is neurotypical um, so uh, just curious to hear a little bit of uh, like your perspective yeah. yeah
1: no yeah, that was masking was the key that really hit the light bulb for me that this was that this is me because it was through learning what masking was, having a conversation with a cousin of mine who was recently diagnosed mm-hmm. with autism um, and how she figured that out and just describing masking, describing mimicking to me and going, oh my goodness, I've done that my whole life. I've always just looked at the outside world and externally tried to become it. And I can just think, you know, you and I've talked about this. So many memories, so many things growing up where Oh, that's where you're masking. That's where you're mimicking. That's where, that's where it's, you're, you're trying to be something.
0: Yep.
1: And yeah, that was the big light bulb for me. That was, that was, yeah, that, and it's still something that I'm, and it's through this technique, you know, Mm -hmm. the Meisner technique helps a lot with unmasking.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'm, I'm still, because I'm now aware of it, I'm still learning how to not do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a whole process. Like, I would say, like, for me, too, like, it's a process. It's un- unmasking. Because some people might just think that it's about simply just removing a mask. But it's like, there's several layers of mask. Yeah. It's it's like, and you've been doing it for so long that it's like, you're so used to it that it becomes kind of like a trauma response, at least for me. Um, yeah, no. That it's like it's just what I do. It's just like what my brain is used to doing when Mm -hmm. I enter a social situation. So I'm not even conscious that I'm doing it. Um, And it's like, because we've been used to putting on this mask for like so many years, and not even really realizing that we're doing it, we're slowly also covering up our true self underneath the mask. And so I've heard a lot about how it's not just about unmasking, but it's about unveiling and like,
1: yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I really love that unveiling. That's, I love that because it's, it's true. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you know, before knowing my diagnosis, I, I really just thought that's what you did. I just, and, and like I said, the stigmas of what I thought neurodistinct was uh, this it's you're hyperactive you're you're all over the place you can't hold a conversation i could do those things you know i it was incredibly draining mm-hmm. incredibly exhausting i would you know hermit myself for days after social experiences and i just thought that's what people did yeah i, no, yeah, I didn't I know. know that um and it it and being in the performing arts since I was very little, it was so easy to learn how to mask. It was that, I mean, you know, we'll talk about our technique specifically mm-hmm. on how it's, we actually now believe acting is the opposite yes. of that. Mm-hmm. But growing up, acting was very performative. Mm-hmm. And so it was so, I was like, oh, perfect. This is, this is where I can hide in plain sight and no one's gonna know. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even realize that that's how I was thinking until now and so so yeah I love that the unveiling and just really getting good with me and all the quirks that come along with me
0: yeah and yeah. really accepting it you yeah. know and it's like embracing all these things as a part of your identity and that's like what I've done too and it, it definitely changes like your whole perspective and on every, just the way you feel it's like I've definitely felt that um yeah for sure um so yeah so as we were we were touching on uh our training um mm-hmm. that's my next question uh how was going through the Meisner training as an undiagnosed neurodistinct person
1: it was I think this training is exhilarating and in so it was teaching me how on the topic of unmasking and unveiling it was teaching me how to do that without realizing that that's what I was doing because I did have all these these masks these ticks these things that I would do to to present perfect to the world and the Meisner technique is the opposite of that it's about you know you are enough is the biggest teaching of the training, and to trust yourself to accept yourself your authentic self warts mm-hmm. and all, and in fact you can't you can't be a good actor if you don't do that yeah, and that and that staying in your head and thinking about yourself and worrying about how you present and are acting is actually the opposite of of how to become a good actor and how to to really create good, connected work. Exactly. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that though this definitely, obviously helped my acting career, that it made me a better person in a lot of ways. And it's really just because of those core teachings that I'm enough, you know, warts and all. There's nothing wrong. You know, there's, I don't need to be focusing on me. I can connect with someone just fine. Mm -hmm. By, and yeah, it just, it helped, it helped me get good with myself. You know, it took at least, because it's a two-year program, and I'd say it took at least the first year.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. To really, really, you know, because I had come from previous acting training and and background. And so in my mind I was like, I got this, you know, but it wasn't I was not prepared for for lack of a better word, the spiritual awakening that yeah, it would it, it would it's, have yeah. for me. Just this um it's the idea that I finally met myself.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it,
1: it for the first time I really had to because I had to get out of my head, it ironically led me to actually see myself. Yeah. And, and to be okay with it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I had a very similar experience. Um, I mean, like, something that I really, really loved about the training right away when I came into it was how it is all about being uh, pure and authentic and, um, you know, just being yourself and accepting yourself for who you are. And our teacher, Jim Jarrett, would always say you are enough. Mm-hmm. and um, And then, yeah, just like, you don't have to like put on this mask and like be someone else.
1: Yeah.
0: Like you just, you earn your character's instead of playing your characters and you, you know, writing autobiographies and everything. And, um, yeah, just like coming into, to react, like into, to contact with your true self. Yeah.
1: Um, And the teaching too of, you know, don't be good. mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously that that's such a big thing because I think at least for me, now knowing, now knowing that I'm neurodistinct, I think acceptance was such, and still is to a level if I'm being honest, if I'm being completely honest. Mm-hmm. It, acceptance was such, being accepted by society, being accepted by my peers, being just accepted and seen was so very important to yeah. me. That's and huge. I I just wanted to be good. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted it so bad. And this teaching of just well, the moment you stop being good, you are good. It was yeah. like, oh, wait,
0: that, that was truly, yeah. for me too, it was like a huge revelation. And um, I could feel it happening. Like, first, set, and my classmates, they still tell me, like, they remember how shy I was mm-hmm. in first session. Um, and, you know, our teacher, Jim, he even told me that when, when I first interviewed with him, he wasn't sure how far I would make it through the training because I was so shy and closed off, mm-hmm. and you know, because I felt like I needed to be this like neuronormative mold that yeah. everyone else was, and um, and it's so different, and that's what's like just one of the things that's so different about the Meisner training mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other um, acting programs and such. Um, and, it's so
1: performative. Yeah,
0: yeah. Everything. A lot of. It's very. Yeah. There's a lot of like, acting, as Jim would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No acting allowed. No acting, no acting, acting allowed. allowed. Yeah. Um, and it's
1: just crazy because you, you know, that's an easy application to 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 the work as mm-hmm. an actor. You no, know, no acting in in the scene or in the film yeah. or whatever. But I didn't realize how much that actually would penetrate my personal yeah. life. Yeah. You know, yeah. no acting. For sure. You know yeah and I'm still growing into that Mm -hmm. yeah
0: me too and it's a it's a process you Mm -hmm. know it's it's all a process but um yeah very powerful like and I'm really it's only uh, for me at least also like only really after the training that I'm starting to realize like oh wow like all of this that I learned in the training not only was it good for acting but it was so powerful and so impactful for me personally and like coming out of my shell and building a a connection with this group for two years. Like I've never had the same classmates for that long and Mm -hmm. it really helped build a connection. And, you know, I, I was in a, a place that I had accept acceptance and, you know, just a whole different experience compared to like how I was treated in like regular school and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then, you know, of course, that's also where the inspiration and the motivation to start this podcast came from. Oh, yeah. Um. You know, being free, like, don't be good, be fearless, as Jim would also say. Um. Like, that for sure.
1: And let me just say, too, you know, I am super proud of you.
0: Thank you.
1: For for going after this. That that's exactly what I thought of when you when you thought yeah. the fearlessness mm-hmm. of it because because you know, just the journey you've been on in these last yeah. two years where two years ago you might have been like, absolutely not <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> no way I would have way done this two years ago. Would I do this? <laughs> yeah. But now of just because the the teaching of you are enough and yeah. you know you're perfect you're perfectly fine as you are but it's like Mm -hmm. screw it let me do it let me do it i'm just gonna do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) whatever yeah
0: um yeah for sure oh and then so also related a little bit to the training um how did you find ways to use your hyperactivity um to your advantage
1: i love that question i love that question you know i also teach the technique and that exact question came up in a teaching this week um, where one of the students I had opened up about being neurodistinct and mm-hmm. one of the students said, oh my God, I have ADHD. You know, uh-huh. I, how do I do this? And I said, you know, I completely honor the, the fear that you can't yeah. do this because you're neurodistinct. But I actually think it's a secret weapon mm-hmm. um, that, you know, if you, if, if you truly believe that you're enough... Yeah. That when your brain starts, if you hear a noise or something where you, you, then you just start paying attention to everything and all the sounds and you start getting overstimulated and you're, you're not sure what to do. The biggest teaching of this training is to focus completely on your, what's in front of you, your partner. Mm -hmm. And so I like to use the idea that the, the the fact that I can hyper focus on something that I'm going to use that secret power. Yes. And I'm just going to completely just focus on what's right in front of me, which is the other person. And yeah. I'm just going to observe. I'm a great observer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yes. I, I'll just observe and just work moment to moment to the point where all that noise, just like it does when, you know, when you stim or when you do something to help regulate it, yeah. it's like the same process until mm-hmm. it, it finally all, Regulates down, and I'm not hearing anything else. Yeah. And I'm just, then all the other acting work that I've done, Mm -hmm. I can, it can just start flowing back in to the work. And I don't have to, I don't have to think about it. Yeah. Because, because I have a superpower that everyone told me was not a superpower, but it actually is. It is. And also the ability to commit to something. Yeah. You know, that all or nothing mentality people hate on it for all kinds of reasons. And I'm not saying it's definitely not great when it comes to procrastination, but it's really great for acting. Mm -hmm. It just, the ability to say, screw it. Let's dive in and commit to it. It creates a, a level of freedom that one, I can't experience in the real world all the time because real world doesn't like it that much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but but in the work i'm just able to to reach my full potential yeah because i can do that yeah and so i actually think of it as a superpower i don't yeah for sure i don't though i though i i really honored what that student mm-hmm. was asking me at the time and it really helped them you know they yeah. actually in real time were able to apply that lesson wow. when they were did the scene then they they were, they were yeah. working that very next um, they were the next couple to go up and they she had that moment of Something happened. I think mm-hmm. some sound went off yeah. in the audience, and she spiraled for a second, and then just took that in right there. And I love seeing it teaching in real yeah, time. Yeah, that's you know? amazing. And so yeah. it was. It was really rewarding to see that. Yeah, but.
0: for sure. And and this reminds me a little bit of like some experiences I've had in the training, mm-hmm. um, precisely like how you know, like with my processing differences and stuff, I would get really confused when I would be doing work with a partner, um, what we call moment to moment work. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just like they would have a certain behavior or a certain reaction that would just make me confused. And I just literally I wouldn't know what to say. But instead of saying I don't know what to say, you're confusing me, I would just freeze mm-hmm. and i just because i didn't know what to say and i would just freeze and i would drop the technique and then our teacher jim would say when you're in that situation just just say it just just go from the gut just yeah i don't know what to say you're confusing me i don't know why are you suing why are you like this or whatever and and then i i remember using that like the very next time i worked yeah. and it made such a difference and, oh yeah yeah it was huge the
1: ability to work impulsively I yeah. think is such an asset to neurodistinct individuals yeah. because yeah. we are constantly cutting off impulses, mm-hmm. worrying that it's not going to be perceived correctly. Yeah. And I know all people think this way, not just neurodistinct people. True. Everyone's worried about, you know, how someone's going to perceive them. Yeah, But there's, I feel this extra layer of anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> around you not, getting me yeah and it's just so liberating to be told actually it's completely okay to say yeah. i don't know you're confusing me yes and that just it's like this weight that's exactly. just lifted. exactly
0: exactly because i once i realized like oh okay i i can say that mm-hmm. i can express that i can just really say what really exactly what i feel like mm-hmm it was such a revelation because it goes, it goes so against what we've been accustomed to doing with masking. Yeah. It's so super powerful for sure.
1: I wouldn't even be surprised if the reason I was able to even come to the full acknowledgement of being neurodistinct was because I went through the training for those years and then the pandemic hit.
0: Yeah.
1: And because I had to get so good with myself, Mm -hmm. um, that, I was no longer judging myself. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was it was just so much easier to to finally take a step back and go, okay, why do you think this way? Why or why not think this way? Why do you act this way? Mm-hmm. And and it it came to it, and it all eventually got me to the diagnosis. Yeah. But I definitely I don't I owe the Meisner Technique Studio and yes. the training. As a whole, not just I don't owe, owe just my career as an actor, but I would say my personal journey. I yeah. owe a lot of it to this yeah. to this training.
0: Same for me, for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, my next question: How has life as an actress been, as a newly n- night neurodistinct person? And you might have touched a little bit on this, but like more related to like after the training.
1: That's a really interesting question. I would say honestly again, just because the training made me so good with myself, I started seeing the way my the way I work as as an asset. Yeah. Um and that didn't mean I got it all right or anything. I think um I learned you know, they teach it in the training of make sure you work with people that get you, that understand you. And I think it took actual, but also at the same time, as soon as you're done training, just get some work, any work mm-hmm. as an actor. Um, and I think I had a learning curve of, because this industry is, is not kind for lack yeah, of a better it's word, true. it's true <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's not very kind and it's, it's it's harsh. It's long hours. It's um, if you're the talent, you in a lot of scenarios, not always, but in a lot of scenarios, you're just a moving piece yeah. to a bigger project. Mm-hmm. And if you are like being on a film set and being o- easily overstimulated, mm. can be really hard. Yeah. Um, and to make sure I'm working in environments that actually make me feel good when I leave I don't though I can't always control not being drained by something I try my best to I think for the first couple of years I just I really I just said yes to anything um and because of that I, I just got drained very quickly and I didn't understand why because everyone else seemed fine you know it wasn't like I had these nightmare experiences on set where people were terrible to me, but I just, I was regularly getting overstimulated regularly. Um, and I, especially because sometimes you're working 14, 16 hours on a set and, um, I just had to learn how. I had to learn how to say no, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think is a really hard thing for an actor to yeah. do because you want yeses, and yeah. so you saying no to things is scary. Um, but I had to learn how to do that, and then and once I was able to do that, start redirecting into projects where I know. I know that I'm cared for. In a sense, where I don't just feel like a moving piece. Yeah. Um, and because I'm not, I don't need you know a trailer or anything like that as an actor. That's not what I'm saying mm-hmm. by any means in terms of being cared for, but just really understanding my process as an actor.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, that's and, that's yeah. pretty much how I, I I've navigated it, and I don't I don't necessarily know if it's because I navigated that way because of being neurodistinct but um especially now since it's a later diagnosis mm-hmm. um i think it's in reflecting on it i realize why i went that way if that makes sense that
0: makes sense yeah um you know i can i can certainly relate to like feeling overstimulated on set mm-hmm. and you know it, it the the difficulty with saying no because it is a profession where we get so many no's and it's like we really want a yes and so like we we know that like every opportunity is an opportunity and like we want to be able to have it but then it is also really important to like be able to honor yourself and like what what you're feeling like how this is making you feel what it's doing to your brain and then you know being able to analyze the environment and this I think also because of thanks to our training but the people that we're working with like like you said like you want to feel we all I think want to feel like we're not just moving pieces like we're you know we, we're we valued and respected and um you know cared for and that we want to surround ourselves with people and work with people that can accept those differences and and are willing to accommodate us. Yeah. You and know.
1: neurodistinct or typical, I just want people who want to create good art. Yeah. But also want to want to do it in a way that actually fulfills everyone involved in the project that it's not this in, you know incredibly draining experience. You know if you're shooting for 4 days in a row and you're just absolutely drained. And well, it looked great at the end of it all, but it's like, what did you do to yourself to get that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's always, I think that's my big goal. That's not goal, but just that's my perspective. Anytime I want to take a job is, and that took a while to get to, especially because it's, it's a bit of the longer route, Mm -hmm. you know, because they do tell you to just get a, get, get work. Who cares? Who cares Mm -hmm. how you're treated? Who cares? Who cares if you if it's work mm-hmm. and um I just for me personally I, I couldn't um sign on to that
0: yeah, I feel the same way, like I'm more selective probably than than some of my peers when it comes to like what I'm willing to work on because i I remember like for me specifically in my narrow distinctness, I need to stop and pause and think like. I know it's like, I really want to work, but is this going to be a pleasant experience for me? Is this going to be something that's going to cause me more stress than, than good in the end and really be able to think about that and then make a conscious decision based on that. And yeah, I think that's been very helpful to just be okay with that. Yeah. To not like so-called like mask. Exactly. Yeah.
1: We're talking about one big mask.
0: Yes, it's one right, big
1: one. one giant mask, and it takes literal sometimes weeks mm-hmm. to recharge after. Yeah. Oh, yes. That kind of experience, and I don't have the time. Yeah. I don't have the time mm-hmm. to do that, and because yeah. I'm I'm trying to build a mm-hmm. career, you're yeah. trying to build a career, yes. and it's I so I need to pick projects that. Tr- it's not that I can't be drained sometimes, but I, mm-hmm. I, I can't be drained throughout at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I take that neurodistinct or neurotypical, mm-hmm. you should take that advice. Yes, but, you should. Yes. But, but for me, I, I need it. I need, yeah. need it. I can't yeah. do it any other way. Exactly.
0: And yeah, so like putting ourselves, like knowing to not put ourselves in situations that are going to drain us yeah. and require all this time we don't have to recover that's for sure, like that's huge. Yeah. I, um yeah, I think that's a huge point for everyone that's listening. Um and if if you're an actor or not, like regardless of yeah, like whatever. Anything. Yeah. Um what has the so moving on to my final two questions, what has been the most challenging part of this neurodistinct journey for you?
1: Um acceptance from others, specifically from people that are closest to me. Um, I grew up in a family who, actually, there's quite a few neurodistinct individuals. Uh, ADHD, autism, um, all dyslexia, I have all kinds of different, which should have been a a big sign for me <laughs> growing up, um. But it was I think the reason why is because they had painted they had, just as much as society had had yeah. painted a stigma, yeah. around what it was. You know, I'm though my one cousin growing up, I'm thinking of with autism, um, was considered. I don't like using this term because I think it's so just terrible to be like this person's high functioning. Yeah,
0: I've heard that term. Um, yeah.
1: but. For a long time, they mm-hmm. were considered that. Yeah. But they did have more needs than I do, or mm-hmm. or even my other cousin who was diagnosed later in life. You know, this this cousin had much more needs um, yeah. than we did, and, and I definitely didn't fit that bill. And so I think, and, you know, I recently had a conversation with some of my family members this past summer about it all, and they just shut it down. Mm. They were just like that's not
0: that's really unfortunate.
1: You know, that's 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 not you. You don't that's not what that is, you know, and it's it it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Yeah. You know, they they just and I understand that it comes from just this idea of what they think it is. Yeah. It's and strong. it'll take I I'm well aware it'll take time for them mm-hmm. to see otherwise. Um, it just, it sucks that they can't see it it sooner. <laughs> it's, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's so, Yeah. I, I honestly haven't opened up to all of my family yeah. about it because of that. Yeah. You know, it's like I tested the waters, mm-hmm. didn't go well. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm selective on yeah. who I share my journey with.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, um. But yeah. Yeah, I can feel, you know, I can relate to that a lot. Um, Both of the things that you were just talking about, the term Mm high-functioning, because I've been called high-functioning a lot, and um, it's usually... A lot of times it's people that don't know me very well, but sometimes even with people that I do know very well, um, because there's this idea... And it's, you know, part of the stigma that we have in society around autism and such that if your support needs aren't, like, glaringly obvious... Yeah. Then you get shrugged to the side. You get um, kind of gaslit
1: throughout
0: life. Exactly. Oh,
1: because I got so good at masking, I'm Mm -hmm. not... These problems aren't real. And it's... Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah like i've definitely felt that a lot and it's really frustrating because it's just like society because people don't understand it's like if you really think like from an internal perspective like underneath the mask and underneath like what what you're just perceiving from the outside like what is this person really going through what like all of the math that goes like the formulas and stuff that go through our head when we're thinking about masking. Yeah. And like all the exhaustion that comes after masking. Yes. Um. I feel like if people understood more about that and thought about it from that perspective, we wouldn't be getting called (laughs) high-functioning.
1: And it's so obvious. It's high-functioning too. It's just... It's high-functioning in terms of being able to communicate with someone who's neurotypical. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's from your perspective yeah. of what function yeah, is exactly and honest if i'm being honest your function doesn't function for me so i mm-hmm. how how could i how could i if my brain doesn't work that way how could i say that i'm high functioning if that's not even yeah. my scale uh-huh. my personal scale yeah
0: exactly it's like what what is the scale like when we say functioning it's a very
1: Biased.
0: Biased scale. Yeah. It's neurotypically biased. And I think each person that uses the term has their own idea Mm -hmm. of, of what it is.
1: It's very subjective. It's yeah. It's so subjective. And the reason why I even know that now, I didn't know that growing up, is because of other people I've talked to about it. And you know the cousin that I have had you know, growing up where they had more needs that needed to be met mm-hmm. and was considered high functioning. Mm-hmm. And then talking to a family member who has, obviously they've, they've had autism their whole life. It's yeah. not like they just woke up one day and was like, oh, this is me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just they, they were able to mask. Yeah. And so that just, that alone, and this is, that experience all happened before my own diagnosis as neurodistinct you know that experience alone just is where that that idea of what is high functioning just got completely popped like it mm-hmm. was it didn't make any sense to me after yeah. that and i honestly do think back to the question of you know what's been challenging of uh, i think that's one of the the issues that my family has been struggling with is that bubble hasn't been popped for them yeah they don't they they don't see oh well if this can be true and this can be true then this must not be true yeah and so they're still on that journey
0: yeah it's a it's a process like you know we talk a lot about the process for us as neurodistinct people but i think also like getting our family and friends or certain family and friends to understand you know our neuro distinctness and what neuro distinctness really is mm-hmm. is a whole nother process in itself. And I can certainly relate to the hesitancy around disclosing to certain people. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people, like, I'm lucky that most of my family has been supportive and understanding and hasn't really challenged me much on this, but I know like close family friends that I just have just because of like how I know like there's the stigmas are and just how they are like their personality and like nothing against them but I just know that I'm not really comfortable yet at this point talk disclosing to them because I'm afraid of what they're gonna say I'm afraid mm-hmm. that they're going to gaslight me and that mm-hmm. they're going to say that something along the lines that I don't look autistic because I don't look like what autistic is like supposed to look for them yeah
1: exactly (laughs) and
0: yeah like
1: what a terrible thing to say yeah it's just
0: like and then some yeah it's just like because I don't want to be harsh on people because I know that a lot of people that um you know they'll say something that'll come across as a microaggression to me like they're not even realizing that it's going to be a microaggression there yeah. a lot of times they're saying these things like when they say um, you don't look autistic they're saying it because they think they're saying something good exactly. because they think autism is a bad thing mm-hmm. and so they're like trying to like reassure me or whatever like oh you don't look autistic but I'm like um I, I am autistic it's yeah. part of who I am Yeah, and it's like even a little bit they don't realize but it is offensive when yeah. they say that I don't look autistic Um, and then even when people say like, and this is like, I get it. I'm not saying like, they just don't know. It's because we don't have information, enough information out there, but they'll say something like, I disclosed to like, um, you know, one of my neighbors recently and he said, oh, I had no idea. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I understand because the, the, what, and they just, what it really, why would you? why would you (laughs) like society doesn't because he was probably thinking of autism in this like very specific way and he never made the connection and it's like well
1: it definitely is painted as if it's like a disease or some Mm -hmm. you know i know in your last episode you talked about autism Mm -hmm. speaks and i grew up around that and Mm -hmm. i am well aware of the disease type mentality that it made it seem like and it's like there's actually nothing yeah. wrong with my brain yeah. it, it's actually functioning exactly the way it should yes yes and <laughs> I just need you to know that it doesn't function the way yours does yeah and that's that's it that's, 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 it. that's <laughs> it that's all there is to it
0: it's no like oh my god yeah. disorder oh my god oh my god cause this narrative like your uh, autism speaks and everything yeah they just pump this fear narrative. They're like, it's all about fear. It's all about making people scared. It's like, oh my God, will it be too late? Oh my God. And it's like, what are you talking about? And what that
1: does to the family too. What that does
0: to the family. Because you
1: could add this in a lot of different... I think a lot of people, marginalized people, can relate to feeling ostracized yeah. in your family, and it's not even necessarily because your family doesn't accept you. It's they're so very worried about how the world is going to treat you. Yeah. And places like and organizations like Autism Speaks putting the fear in people. Yes. That, oh my God, my my kids aren't going to be accepted. They're not going to have the life they deserve. Mm-hmm. And you change you. Everything you do to them, then from that point on, is based, is just driven by that fear. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's such a disservice to the person. It's a disservice to the relationship, you know, when there's so much, I think there's so much neurotypical people can learn from neurodistinct people. You know, and how, and just in how to see the world. You know, yeah. you ever think about when you when you talk to someone who has a fresh perspective on something, mm-hmm. just like it feels like a fresh yeah, of breath air. It just does to just look at something in a new way. Yeah, and instead of being scared of it, you know, we can actually be you can you embrace know, it. You know, one of the, as we talk about the Meisner teachings, yeah. you know, don't be intimidated, be inspired. Yeah, you know, and it's like a big. Be inspired by this new way of thinking. Exactly. Don't be so intimidated yes. by it. You know? we're, we're It's not that different. Yeah, there is a lot of that.
0: Like, I see yeah. that out there. Like, people are afraid to, like, to acknowledge that, like, a certain thing or a certain concept that they've thought about a certain way for so long is actually maybe not that. That. Yeah. And it's just really... It seems like it's really hard for them to... To just, you know, take that step and, and just... And acknowledge that and be okay. Like, oh, maybe I wasn't necessarily right about this, but...
1: That's a hard one.
0: It's a hard one. It's yeah. a hard one for everyone. It's hard. And yeah. I
1: definitely think, you know, as we talk about the awakening of the pandemic, I just... I think we're at a time in place where... The pendulum's swinging a bit. Mm -hmm. It's a little extreme. But where people really have to come up against seeing the world one way for a really long time. And that just not being it. Yeah. And having to navigate this new way of being.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, I think someone described it once, you know, of... When there's a shift in mm-hmm. society, when there's, and I and I really do think there's all kinds of shifts happening to society, but I really think the neurodistinct community is making a really strong shift. Yeah. And, you know, when a shift happens, it's almost like someone compared it to, to the dinosaurs. You know, <laughs> that there was, you know, when the dinosaurs died out, they, you know, they they roared and they. All all this big noise and everything, but but it eventually transitioned, and there was this big explosion. But it all transitioned, and eventually led to where we're at now. And I I look at it in an evolution way, like that. That we're we're dealing with some chaos. Yes, a lot of chaos. And but as long as I think neurodistinct people are very clear. Mm-hmm. on the message they're sending and it's it's that idea of being compassionately firm yes compassionately firm on nope this is the way we think yeah this is the way we are there's nothing, nothing wrong, wrong, with, wrong it. with it take your time processing yeah. that but i'm not changing anymore yeah. for you um i think that's more powerful than a lot of people give credit for
0: it's true it is very powerful Uh very powerful i think not just for us but for the people around us um i had a great conversation uh with my sister a couple weeks ago on the podcast and you know she was telling me about how she was like when when we were younger like when i wasn't like before my diagnosis even like I wasn't really thinking about neurodistinctness and what it meant. And she wasn't thinking about neurodistinctness. But she started noticing these differences. Mm-hmm. Like, she started noticing how I had really intense reactions to certain things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, she... Like, you know, we would argue a lot. And she would, like, push my buttons as a classic, you know, little Zibling, sister. yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know she was just like messing around but then she would notice oh my god he has these really intense reactions like maybe i shouldn't do this as much like um and like she had that realization and then also she started seeing like when i had some some bullying events um at school and she learned about that she that she said that was a huge awakening for her because then it was like oh wow so this is really like it's something that's not affecting him just at home. Yeah. It's affecting him outside too.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and like that can be really helpful and then you know just like you know for for our families as well and um also understanding like certain behaviors like stimming. Yes. Um she would talk about how and I I still remember this. Um also she would she would get annoyed by my stims mm-hmm. cuz she didn't understand I didn't even really understand what I was doing and why and of course she didn't um and so I would be like I had this stim where I'd be like rubbing my forehead yes. or I'd be like rubbing my chin or something and she would just like get annoyed by it because like we didn't just we didn't know what it was and like Gino, stop like why stop doing that why are you doing that yeah um and and I and I just kind of feel ashamed because you know it was the whole masking mentality I didn't yeah. know any of this stuff so I was just like I would just be ingrained like not just because of her but because of society I would just think of it as a bad thing oh I shouldn't do this I should suppress this and unfortunately that's what ABA and a lot of um, autism, What is considered, what are considered the gold standard yeah. of autism therapies teach. And it's so harmful. And it's like, because it's not, this is what drives me crazy about it. Like this ABA stance on stimming, for instance, is that it just considers stimming a bad thing. It's not acknowledging that stimming, the there's a purpose to it. <laughs> yeah. Stimming, it's like a fire alarm. It's yeah. telling you there's a fire, which is the sensory overload. And People just treat it as if it's like a defective alarm, as yeah. if the alarm is going off for no reason. So, oh let's just silence the alarm, forget the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Forget and then forget the fire.
1: <laughs> I <love> that analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um and it's just like, no, without the fire. Yeah. And the alarm will stop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, oh my gosh. Um
1: anyway. No, and we live in a society yeah. too where it's it's changing, but if you think about, there's a there's a huge generational gap. There's a there's multiple generations on the planet right now that were raised on the idea of let the baby cry,
0: mm-hmm. oh let the god. baby cry, yeah, oh my god. the baby. Oh my god! So yeah.
1: of course, of <laughs> course, they wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to recognize yeah. the purpose of stimming yeah. because because of the just the way we function as a society is just so detached from our emotional well-being and how much our emotional well-being is it's it's an alarm it's a, it's a signal of our neurological state yeah. of what's happening to exactly. us. Exactly. And I I think, you know, there's just times that you as a neurodistinct person cannot mask it that you cannot stop the alarm from going off. And there's nothing wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and we are shifting we are shifting but the shift i would definitely say falls more on just neurodistinct people being so very firm yeah on we're not going to do this anymore
0: yes we are not it is a revolution like Mm i it feels very much like a revolution to Mm -hmm. me like we've had it enough we're not gonna like comply to your narrow normative standards anymore we're gonna be ourselves yeah. um you know it really helped like uh, when i started reading about all of this i read an article and there was like a comparison to the lgbt movement and that's what really helped me kind of see it more from this perspective that it's like okay to be different yes um because it was like the lgbt movement was a lot about also against like against the pathologization of being queer
1: yeah
0: um and you know like it's a difference not a, a disease or a disorder so like that was just very powerful that link and then it also i feel like it also relates to why a lot of neurodistinct people identify as LGBT. Yeah. Because they already feel different, like, from an early age. And Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I know we're... This, I have this my last question. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more positive. It's, like, similar to the, this one, but it's more positive. What has been the most gratifying part of this journey for you?
1: Just finally seeing myself. And being okay with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have all the answers. Obviously, I'm very new to that. You and I have talked about that extensively. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. I'm still very much in the learning process. But it's <sighs> there's just something incredibly relieving about going, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And all the questions that I've had for so long, the feeling of though again the teaching of this technique you are enough, you are enough and I've believed that deeply, but I've been growing into that. And this there was always this question that I just could not answer of you know, what I I felt though this is not the right question of what is wrong with me? What is wrong? And Once finding out my diagnosis and then going on the process... Actually, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. That's just been... So... Releasing. Like, I just... I can't explain it as anything other than this weight that's just gone. Yeah.
0: It is. Like, for me, too. I can certainly relate. Like, a huge weight. It's just this huge weight... Yeah. Off of your shoulders. Like... I, and this is another teaching from the training, I am enough, yeah, or you are enough, um like we are enough the way we are we We don't have to like make ourselves a certain way. we can just embrace who we are and what yeah. we do and why we do it, and this is what's been so helpful for me of like I've learned more about autism this year alone just from like reading from and connecting with other neurodistinct people yeah then i have in the whole 11 or 12 years before that since i got my diagnosis um this community like connecting with the community and seeing this different perspective and then that combined with the training and you know other experiences is
1: and it's nice too to learn how one once you find it and then you find the community you're able to learn how to relate to people in a different way. Yes. You know, I I was talking to you earlier about you know, my partner has ADHD, yeah. uh my twin has ADHD and they they they've known that those that they've had that and now being able to relate to them in ways that I wasn't yes. able to in the past. Oh my and God. Yes. It's brought our relationship. There's so, there, It's like a new level of intimacy mm-hmm. in my partnership. For sure. And, and even with my twin of just, of just getting each other yes. in a different way. I think for a long time, you know, not as much for my partner, but at least for my twin growing up, you know, it was, well, well, he thinks this way. You think that way. Mm. And it was even though we were twins, there was always this separation. And I think it's really helped. It's helped our relationship so much yeah. um, to just get each other and, yeah. and to not judge each other. Yes. You know, exactly. I think a lot of times, you know, you might relate to it with the conversation you had with your sister of just there's a lot of aha moments.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. You know, a lot. Yes.
1: And so. Yeah, you know, it just it just feels good.
0: Yeah, it feels really good. Um, like this reminded me of something, you know, the being able to relate to others that are neurodistinct as well. My dad just got diagnosed like a few years ago, very late in life mm. with ADHD. Oh wow. And um,
1: it's crazy, right? It's, it's crazy. like, oh wait, it's not just me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like and it's,
0: it just helped me understand so much more about him like because he has hyperactivity as well and he's like i always noticed this like since i was a kid how he just and my mom would always talk about it like oh your dad doesn't you know stay in one room for like more than five minutes because he was always like oh let's go to the market let's go here let's go there oh i want to do this let's go to the park yeah you know and i'm just like whoa whoa yeah Hmm." Dad, can Slow we just down. relax a little bit? <laughs> yeah. um, and now I understand. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the hyperactivity from the ADHD. And it all makes so much sense now. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I feel like, um, and he has a little bit, you know, of the attention deficit as well. But I feel like he's always been, like, he still is. I think he still is very hard on himself with yes. a lot of that. And, like, it's just the way we're conditioned in society to, like, think that if we're not doing things in neurotypical ways that we're, like, there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. But it's really, like, I've been... It's been really helpful for me, like, this whole journey because, like, I'm also helping him understand...
1: Yes, you like, create a space for yes. them that they didn't yeah. have before. Yeah. That's something I really relate to, yeah. you know, especially mm-hmm. in my with my partner of just, you know we've had so many conversations this last year where he's able to talk about the way he sees things and the Mm -hmm. way he does things in a way he's not been able to in the past because there was this judgment that he, that he carried on himself yeah, and that not because he put it there, someone put it there, Mm -hmm. you know, but for so, and he had just, you know, he's, he's going to be 40 this year and it's, 40 years of telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I can't talk about this. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm disordered and that's just the way I am. And someone saying, actually, that's not true. Yeah. It's not true at all. And let's talk about it. Yeah. Is, is, it's, it's rewarding on my end to be able to create that space. Yeah. And not that that, you know. But it's it's just really nice. Yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, it's really great. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I know that we've been talking for a while.
1: I so, know. And we uh, just went. We it's just went. It We're is. just gonna keep talking. Yeah. We're great communicators. Yes, Don't let anyone are. tell us otherwise. Don't <laughs> let anyone
0: <laughs> tell you otherwise. Yes. We can communicate. <laughs> this is proven. Yes. So, um, I'm always a little bit awkward with, with goodbyes. My, my followers know this. I, um, so I'm just
1: really grateful you had me. Thank you. I'm really grateful you
0: you had, I was able, you, um, agreed to come on. Yes. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I think it's a great thing you're doing. You know, it, it, it's not, it's not just about being informative and educational, but holding space. Yeah. And you're doing this is a great place to hold space for for neurodistinct individuals, but all ne- yeah. neurodistinct individuals, but also just for people neurotypical people that just you know, or anyone that might just feel a little marginalized in life yeah, and just you know, want to feel seen, want to feel understood. Yeah. I think this is a really good space for, for sure. that. So thank you for that. Yeah, touch. thank you. Yeah.
0: All right, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Um, Stay tuned for the next one, and thank you for listening.